Okay, I want to invite you now to turn again to the Gospel of John, chapter 4. A few weeks ago, I read this quote from the 17th century mathematician Blaise Pascal. I want to read it again. It's fitting for today. So so please listen carefully. Again, this was a, a piece of paper discovered in Pascal's, sewn into the pocket of his shirt um, at the time of his death. So he kept this near to his heart. He says, This day of grace, 1654, about half past ten at night to about half after midnight, fire. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and the wise. Security. Security. Feeling. Joy. Peace. God of Jesus Christ. Thy God shall be my God. Forgetfulness of the world and of all but God. He can be found only in the ways taught in the gospel. Greatness of the human soul. O righteous Father, the world hath not known Thee, but I have known Thee. Joy. 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 Tears of joy. Now, that is an example of worshiping the Father in spirit. You hear it, right? It's so powerful. Shot through with heartfelt desire for God. Fire, security, feeling, peace, and joy. Tears of joy. But it is also a profound example of worshiping the Father in truth. These strong affections are not a result, and he says it specifically, they're not a result of focusing on the philosophers and the wise. Rather, these deep feelings are clearly stirred on account of the truth about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Jesus Christ. As he says, Quote, who can be found only in the ways taught in the gospel. And so on that night, that night some from between 10.30 in the evening until 12.30 in the morning, Pascal worshipped the Father in spirit and truth. Worship in spirit, that is, worship with real heartfelt desires, affections, and Worship in truth, that is, heartfelt desire and affections that must be focused on God as He has revealed Himself, communicated Himself in Scripture. This this is precisely what Jesus calls all of us to have. It's true worship. Worship in spirit and truth. And it is proof of salvation. And such worship is the kind of worship God the Father is seeking to make and create in and among every people, every tribe, every language, every nation. Now, last week we 
dug down into the meaning of worshiping the Father in spirit. Today I want to dig down into what it means to worship the Father in truth. So let's begin again by uh, hearing the words of Jesus teaching in John chapter 4, verses 20 to 24. I invite you to follow along as I read God's word. The woman said to him, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. It's the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Mindful, profoundly mindful, Lord, that um, for this kind of worship to happen, flesh and blood is of no ultimate help. Though flesh and blood can serve this purpose and serve this end ultimately, decisively, the kind of worship you are seeking is uh, only generated by you. And so we're turning now intentionally, self-consciously to you and seeking you, Father. Seeking the kind of worship that you seek. We want to please you. We want to honor you. We want to praise you. We want to know you. We want, we want to know your presence and power and beauty and glory and activity made manifest among us. And we want that not just, not just because it's good for us, but because ultimately, Lord, it brings honor and glory and praise to you when your people see you and know you and experience you and encounter you as you really are. So accomplish this among us. Make us a people um, who worship in spirit and truth. For your name's sake, amen. It's common these days to um, think of preaching as a mind thing and uh, to think of worship as a heart thing. See, this is, this, you know, what I'm doing is the head thing and what we did a little while ago is the heart thing. Um, there are Christians who would be really happy if 
the sermon was cut back so that more time could be given to worship, <laughs> meaning the singing. And um, the, the same mindset can be reflected in a, a sort of a dislike for songs that are wordy uh, or a, a perspective that says reading scripture interrupts worship. Our, our friend um, Bob Coughlin who's the worship director for Sovereign Grace Churches, uh, he says, knowing our Bibles and knowing the God of our Bibles does not deaden our worship of God, but rather informs and inflames it. That, in a nutshell, I think, is, is really the call to worshiping in truth. Now, the, my goal last week was to persuade you that heartfelt desire for God and, and the entire range, the spectrum of, of affections and feelings, um, th these are not things to be restrained. <laughs> Rather, they are necessary. They're necessary for there to be true worship. But my goal today is to persuade you that the only right source for the inflaming and the informing and the stirring of those desires and feelings are the work of the Holy Spirit bringing illumination to the truth about God as He is revealed in the Bible. So what I'm going to do, uh, like last week, I gave you five aspects to worship that is in spirit. Today I'm going to give you five aspects to worship that is in truth beginning with the most obvious, and that is that God has revealed Himself. God has revealed the truth about Himself in the Bible. The Samaritans had refused to own up to the truth about God as He has communicated Himself in the Bible. And Jesus says in verse 22 to this Samaritan woman, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. So the reason that we know the Samaritans had intentionally departed from the truth about God uh, as revealed in the Bible is because we know that they had taken the Old Testament. They deleted everything except the first five books, and then they rewrote those first five books to fit their own thoughts, their own preferences of what God should be like the way... They were wanting him to be like. And that's why Jesus says, you, you worship what you do not know. They, they had willingly turned away from God's own self-revelation in the Scriptures. They had their own ideas of what God should be like. They thought they could create their own truth about what they wanted God to be like. And this is what many still do today. People do not accept the reality that there is one unchanging truth about God, one unchanging, unalterable truth about God for every person on the globe, for all time. That's what we have in the Bible. And the Samaritans believed that anyone, anybody could just come up with their own unique truth about God, which they thought up themselves. And to this, Jesus says, you worship what you, don't, you do not know. You're worshiping something that doesn't even, it's not even out there to be known. There is no God out there like the one that you've come up with. And so, what were they supposed to do? 
what should people do today who have done essentially what the Samaritans had done? And Jesus says, own up to the truth that salvation is from the Jews. Now, that, that doesn't mean that the Jews were somehow ethnically superior to the Samaritans, that they had some special thing going. Far from it. What Jesus means is that God, according to His sovereign grace, had chosen the Jews, that is the Old Testament nation of Israel, and through them, through the Old Testament nation of Israel, He chose to communicate who He was and who He is and who He forevermore will be. And that communication has been written down and recorded in the pages of the Old Testament. And now, and now in the person of Jesus Christ, which everything in the Old Testament points to, God has revealed Himself even more clearly. We've seen this in John chapter 1, verse 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. So, so neither the Samaritans nor anybody else should be trying to come up with their own image of God. Rather, every person should realize and accept the truth about God that he has disclosed concerning himself as it is written in the pages of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, just think for a second, what, what good news that is. Um, this means that there, there really is a God who is alive, who exists right now, He's not just some kind of a force or power. He is personal. He created the entire universe. He created you and me. And he not only created us, but he has shown us clearly who he is. He hasn't just sat back, kind of crossing his fingers and hoping that we might figure out who he is. Instead, he has communicated himself with remarkable clarity and remarkable specificity in the pages of the Bible. So, friends, listen. We are not left in the dark about who God is. We do not need to choose between like hundreds of human theories or potential philosophies out there about God. God himself has personally and plainly revealed to us who he is right here. So when Jesus says true worship must be in truth, he means that it must be focused on God as he has revealed the truth about himself in the pages of Scripture. That's worship in truth. And therefore, is the second thing then, any worship experience which does not focus on biblical truth about God is not true worship. For it to be true worship, it must focus on the truth of God as He has revealed Himself in the Bible. 
Look at verses 23 and 24. Jesus says, the hour is coming. It's now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. There are, there are people today, probably many people today, who have had profound, powerful, extraordinary experiences of worship. Lots of heartfelt affection, like Pascal, probably feelings of love and joy and peace and fire. But the focus of their worship is not on God as He has revealed Himself in the Scripture. Rather, it is on some human creation of what they believe God ought to be like. And Jesus is saying that that kind of worship experience, even if, even if there are powerful, overwhelming affections such as love and joy and peace and fire, if this worship is not focused on the true God, as he has communicated himself in the Bible. Friends, listen. That is not true worship. No matter how powerful the experience is, if it is not focused on the truth of God revealed in the Scriptures, it is not true worship. So you know, right? There's lots of worship that happens. Not all worship is true worship. That's why, that's why this text exists. I want to read you a testimony, the testimony of a woman. Um, uh, she, she was in the hospital being treated for a, some serious condition, and uh, she, um, while, while in, in the hospital, she had what she would describe as a near-death experience. And, um, and during this kind of near-death um, brush with death, she had this experience. L listen carefully to her testimony. Listen very carefully. She says, I felt a profoundly pleasant sense of well-being and calmness. The peace and tranquility I felt increased. And I felt I could have stayed in this wonderful state forever. Love filled this whirling, moving mass. And I sank more deeply into its warmth. I rejoiced in great security and peace. I never felt greater tranquility in my life. And then I saw a pinpoint of light in the distance and I noticed the figure of a man standing in it with light radiating all around him. The light became brilliant, brilliant beyond description. I felt an utter explosion of love. It was the most 
unconditional love I have ever felt. I felt His enormous Spirit and I knew I'd always been a part of Him. That in reality, I'd never been away from Him. And there was no question who He was. I knew that He was my Savior and friend and God. He was Jesus Christ. So writes Betty Eady in her very well-known book, Embraced by the Light. Now, you might think that because Betty Eady uses words like God and Savior and Jesus Christ, that she is talking about the same Jesus the Bible talks about. You could think that. But when you keep reading along in her book, you find that the Jesus that Betty Eady met was not teaching at all the same things taught by the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus Betty Eady met did not say anything about the need to be born again. The Jesus she met did not say anything about how her sins or our sins have separated us from God. The Jesus she met said nothing about the cross or about the necessity, its necessity for the atonement for our sins. And, and even though the true Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, the Jesus that Betty Eady met said that any religion can bring you to God. So, God has warned about the possibility of this kind of experience. The Bible tells us that Satan himself can appear to us as an angel of light. And you might ask, how can I tell? How can I tell whether it's Satan disguised as an angel of light or whether it's like a real angel of light? And the way you tell, according to the scriptures, is, is not simply by considering the presence of or the intensity of heartfelt affections like love and acceptance and peace and fire. I mean, it was just, it was just so powerful. I mean, how can you deny it? How, it, it was so real. I felt it. No, the... The test is by looking at the truth that is communicated. So heartfelt affections, as necessary as they are to true worship, they can be present and experienced, and it can all be a deception. So even though Betty Eady felt great heartfelt affection toward God, it was not true worship because it was not in truth. It was not focused on God in the Lord Jesus as He has communicated Himself in the Bible. And so this is why, this is why we have banners out there sometimes, because it's a little cold today, but banners that, that say head and heart. We have to have both. 
We want heart. There has to be heart, but you can't check your head at, at the door. That's why the Bible uh, saturates uh, this entire 90 minutes that we have together. We want to make sure that it is informed by, clearly informed by the truth of God's Word. It is a serious matter. And it must be taken seriously so that none are deceived by books like Betty Eadie's or some other teaching or a culture that is saturated in lies that can lead people away from or at least weaken the foundation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's a third thing. Heartfelt worship flows, it, it rises from beholding the truth of God in the scriptures. So we can't really worship God as He is without the truth of who He is. The, the feelings, and I want to say again, as we did last week, these feelings are essential, they're crucial to true worship. But these feelings that arise in worship, don't, they don't just appear out of like nowhere, out of a vacuum. Feelings come from somewhere, and the feelings that are awakened in true worship come from beholding the glory and the beauty and the truth of an infinitely awesome, holy, majestic, glorious, beautiful God in the truth of Scriptures. I want you to imagine here for a moment that you're in Hawaii. It's a great place to imagine being on a day like today. Um, I, I, I think of it because we used to, my wife's from there, we used to live there, so just, just soak this up for a second. Um, imagine that you are driving along the, the John Burns H3 freeway from the leeward side of the island of Oahu to the windward side of the island of Oahu. I, I realize this is challenging, so I'm going to try to help you out here. And this, this freeway takes you um, through the um, Halava Valley and, and then up into the Ko'olau Mountains and then uh, actually under the Ko'olau Mountains via the Hirano Tunnel. Um, this is one of the most beautiful roads on the planet. And when you emerge from the tunnel, you are suddenly met with this vista of Kaneohe Bay and uh, various shades of aquamarine to all the way to the deep, deep dark blue of the vast Pacific Ocean, which obviously goes on um, and uh, dropping down off from one side of the freeway is this is the lush Haiku Valley. Um, it's just this thick canopy of tropical vegetation full of palms, banana trees, just a stunning array of colored flowers. And then rising straight up from the other side of the on the other side of the, the freeway is and from the valley floor are the soft green walls of the Ko'olau mountain range. And, and just in, on days when it's rained, there, there would be literally 
hundreds, hundreds of waterfalls in every little crack and crevice coming down those, those mountains. Now, just as suddenly um, you are filled with wonder, uh, just, <laughs> um, it, it is awesome, it is a joy, there is pleasure, there is delight, it just fills you as you come out of that tunnel and you see all that. Now, um, when you were back in the tunnel, you didn't have those feelings. But when you emerged from the tunnel, you have those feelings. What happened that changed you? You saw. You beheld the truth of the glory of those wonders. And that is completely different than sitting here in this cafeteria on a wintry day in South Dakota imagining those things. Seeing the truth of the windward side of the island of Oahu is what gave you what caused the rising of feelings of wonder and awe and joy and delight in the windward side of the island of Oahu. And so it is with worshiping God. Seeing is worshiping. Seeing changes everything. For a moment, I'd like you to give your attention to a couple of verses in Psalm 47. Here's an example. Psalm 47 says, Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. I'd really like to linger there for a little bit because these are sometimes biblical commands that some find very convenient to disregard. Um, clapping your hands, shouting to God with loud songs of joy. Keyword, for the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared. A great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us. God has gone up with a shout. The Lord, with the sound of a trumpet, sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. For... Our God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with a song. God reigns over the nations. God sits on His holy throne. The shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. Now, this is a scene, right? It's a scene of heartfelt joy. And it is a scene of deep wonder. He is to be feared. Awesome. It, it, it is a pleasure. It, there, it is a feeling of pleasure to praise God. But where does this joy and this wonder, this awe, 
come from? Where does it arise from? Are, are these people shouting and clapping and singing for joy and with awe because the music is fun? Or because the brass section rocks? Or the band is great? Or, you know, there's just this, there's a whole lot of people? Okay, you, you know, when the, when the music is fun and the band is great and there are lots and lots of people engaged in passionate singing, I am affected. Aren't you affected? We're, we're, we're affected. But, you know, I could just as easily be at a Tower of Power concert. Um, they got a great brass section, a lot of people there in, engaged in it, leaning in, enjoying, some are up and dancing. Band is so good. But true worship happens when the feelings that are rising, arising from setting our hearts and minds on the truth that God, in this case, Psalm 47, is the most high. And he has brought the nations of the earth to their knees. And he caused the underdog to win. And he asserted his providence and his power. And he's put it on display for every nation to see that there is none like him. And what he does, he pleases. And not even the mightiest of nations on earth can thwart his purpose. And he sits on his throne. He looks down at them as they're all kind of walking by in defeat throwing their shields at his feet, laying down their weapons at his feet. And when you set your mind and your heart on that truth and you pray and you ask the Holy Spirit to open the eyes of your heart that you might not simply understand it with your head, but you might feel the truth of it in here. Affections of joy and wonder rises within you. True worship rises when we set our hearts and minds on the truth of who God is. When we come out of the tunnel, as it were, and behold His majesty in Scripture. You see, far, far too often, I think we try to worship God without setting our hearts and minds on the glory and the beauty of who He actually is. I mean, we might even, we might even pray sometimes and say, Lord, meet us. Help me to feel joy in you. Help me to taste and see. And then, and then when we don't feel anything, it, it, it's frustrating because it appears then that there's other people that are ooing and aahing while we're feeling nothing. We, we have to come out of the tunnel, so to speak, and look at who God is. Of course, it's essential that we pray and we ask God to meet us in worship. That's a a crucial step, a necessary step. But, but that's like we're over here asking and seeking and longing for more of God, while over here is this pipeline of truth about God as He's revealed Himself in the Bible. We're longing, but we're standing far off from the pipeline. We need to get to the pipeline of the truth, God's Word, to get to the Holy Spirit, to get to the beauty of God as He is, actually is. Pray? Yes, of course. That opens the spigot. But then get to the pipeline. Get into the flow of, by positioning 
yourself by fixing and focusing your mind and heart on the truth of God as He has revealed Himself in the Bible. That's where heartfelt worship comes from. Rises from seeing and beholding the truth of who God is. Here's the fourth thing. There is no truth to the idea that too much knowledge can quench worship. That goes back to my quote from Bob Coughlin. The the idea that, you know, let's have less Bible, more worship. Let's have less preaching and more worship. Maybe... It it helps if you think of it this way. Could, let's go back to Hawaii for a second. Could seeing more of the windward side of the island of Oahu give you less feelings of joy and wonder and pleasure in the windward side of the island of Oahu? Is that possible? I mean, just if I just saw more and more, then I would probably feel less pleasure. Uh, um, I think I can say with a a fair amount of certainty that once you've seen some of that, you'd really want to see more. You you would want to explore more. You'd want to climb uh, the the ridges. You'd want to hike down into the rainforest. You'd want to walk on the beach. You'd want to smell the flowers. You'd want to know more. More would give you more heartfelt pleasure. My wife, Lori, and I, we got seriously interested in each other. It was during the first, my first year of seminary. And um, after that year, she went home for the summer, and I, I went to work at a Bible camp for the summer. And, and we, we wrote each other a lot of letters. Now, if somebody had said to me, you know, you better watch out um, how much you read those letters. Um, I, you read those letters a lot. It could quench your affections for that girl. He could just squash it. And, um, and I would have said, are you out of your mind? I, I read those letters over and over. I poured over them. I pondered them. I looked at certain words again and again. Why? For the pleasure that came from them. I know it could be shocking to you, but the more I read these letters, the more love and affection I felt for this girl. That's what happens with the truth of God's Word. If we want to grow as true worshipers, we don't just listen to more music. We seek to encounter God in our Bibles. And that's why, and this is the last point, The more we understand of God's truth in the Scripture, the more intense will be our worship. So, one more time here. Suppose you're driving out of the Hirano Tunnel, H3 Freeway, but today, today there's a fog blowing in. You can barely see. And your sense of joy and delight is, well, it's clearly, obviously diminished. Could have been this morning, you know. Could, 
could have been getting up like with a less hour of sleep, could have been this fog of preoccupation, could be this fog of distraction or burdens or disappointments, could be the fog of, of hurt, could be the fog of sin, could be the fog of things we just simply don't even know about God yet. Friends, none of us have a perfect vision of God. I mean, it's all through a, a glass dimly. So what do we do? What do we do on the days when the, it's just all fog? <laughs> the Word of God is like the sun that burns off the fog. And so when you come to worship, whether that's in your private time or whether that's here in this public gathering, and it is foggy for you for whatever reason, remember, it's the Word fixing and focusing on our minds on the truth of who God is as He has communicated Himself to be in this book that burns off the fogginess so that the glory of God breaks through. I read a quote from a uh, Jonathan Edwards last week, I'd like to read a, a quote this morning from Jonathan Edwards' wife, Sarah, who, like her husband, was a true worshiper. Uh, she wrote of one such experience. Listen to this. When I was alone, I seemed to hear the great God proclaiming thus to the world concerning me. Who shall lay anything to thy charge? And it was strongly impressed upon me how impossible it was for anything in heaven or on earth, in this world or in the future, ever to separate me from the love of God which was in Christ. My safety, my happiness, and my eternal enjoyment of God's love seemed as durable and unchangeable as God Himself, melted and overcome by the sweetness of this assurance, the sweetness of this assurance. I fell into a great flow of tears and could not stop weeping aloud. It appeared certain to me that God was my Father and Christ my Lord and Savior, that He was mine and I was His. And under a delightful sense of the immediate presence and love of God, love that phrase, these words seem to come over and over in my mind, my God, my all, my God, my all. The presence of God was so near and so real that I seemed scarcely conscious of anything else. And you know what Sarah Edwards was doing at the time that she had this experience? 
She was meditating and contemplating and praying through Romans chapter 8. That is worship in spirit and truth. Because worship needs both spirit and truth. Spirit is the heartfelt desire for God and His presence. Spirit is the energy, the inclination, even the inclination that is given by God to get to God. And the truth, the truth, it's like a ladder. It's like a ladder to get you into the heavens. And if you use the ladder, you will get higher than if you just use the energy of your own desire. And if you couple spirit-produced desire with spirit-illumined truth, you will get so much higher than if you only desired. And the more you know about God in the Scripture, the more rungs you will have on your ladder and the higher into God's glory you will get. And so I want to exhort you, call you, invite you, urge you to, to ask the Spirit of God for more desire and more illumination and then to fix and focus your mind's attention on the truth of God as He has communicated Himself in the Bible. And may God make us true worshipers who worship with our heads and our hearts with all our being until we are fully satisfied in all that He is for us and He is praised for His glory.